Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome to episode number 225 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is June 18th, 2012. We've got a great show for you this week on the Peristyle Podcast. Coach Harvey Hyde is on secret assignment, so we're going to start off the show with uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. we got a lot of questions to get to. We're going to talk about the BCS, uh, all kinds of questions about this USC football team. We're going to talk about USC offseason workouts. If you have any questions or comments, we love to hear from you. Drop us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com, or give us a call, 206-888-6755. Leave a brief voicemail, and we will play it on the Peristyle Podcast. And you can, you can even leave a voicemail from your computer if you go to peristylepodcast.com. Go right there on the left side of the page. It says click to leave a voice message and leave us a brief voice, voice message. We'll play it on the air and do our best to answer your question. And like I said, we have Dan Weber on the show with us today. Dan, what's going on, sir? How are you? Oh, uh, doing good. Doing good. Getting getting excited for what's coming, we think. Just enjoying uh, watching them in the, uh, uh, the workouts. Uh, Kind of a, uh, having a different look a little bit with this team. Uh, they're growing up in front of your eyes. You didn't realize they were younger than you realized last year. And uh, as you see them now, you you realize they've got uh, you know room to grow and mature, and uh, and uh, and they seem to be doing that. Certainly, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about what we've been uh, observing the last couple of weeks for these off-season workouts. And it is a busy week. Uh, like you said, so today's podcast probably a little shorter. We're not going to have Coach Harvey Hyde on. We're going to try to get squeeze in one tomorrow with Gerard Martinez because we do have a lot of recruiting questions already and a lot is going on on that on the recruiting front for USC, obviously. So we'll get those two in. I'm actually leaving, going to Atlanta on Tuesday, so I'll try to get the podcast in before that. I'll be down. We have our Rivals.com Publisher Conference and then the the big five star challenge where there's a whole bunch of USC commits. They're pretty much dominating the West roster down there. Um, so in Atlanta, it's going to be a lot of fun. We'll get a lot of footage and interviews and photos and all kinds of information on the USC commits and also the, the players that Lane Kiffin is still going after. So a lot of targets down there for USC. So it'll be a busy week. We'll do a lot of recruiting, especially later on in the week. And Dan, you can uh, hold down the fort while, while we're out of town there uh, in Atlanta. But it should be a lot of fun. But yeah, like a lot going on. And um Maybe, maybe Jan, if you want to share a couple observations from what you've seen at these these morning workouts, you talk about these guys growing up. What have you noticed the most from uh, these workouts? Well, I think uh, uh, different uh, attitude about some things. For example, a number of, of holdover veterans uh, are lighter and leaner than they've been, but they'll, then I'll tell you uh, the plan is over the winter, over the summer, excuse me, from now until uh, August camp, is to put on weight. Uh, but they keep saying, I want to put on good weight. For example, uh, Xavier Grimble is, uh, you know, on the way down at 240 under his 250-pound weight, you know, that he played at last year. But he said, then I want to put the 10 pounds back, but I want it on his good weight. Uh, the same thing with uh, 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 George Yuko. 
who's uh, you know a little over 275 right now, and he said, yeah, I expect to play at 285, kind of where he was last year. But he said, uh, I'm going to put on 10 you know pounds of, of muscle. Uh, so that's the plan. So uh, they're leaner. This is a group that right now, this is not a group that maybe, uh, you know, gained a lot of extra weight and then, uh, uh, you know, is going to have to take it off, uh, which was kind of the old way. You know, you would have to take it off during the summer, work real hard. I mean, obviously, Andre Walkers and Antoine Woods, the, you know, two perfect examples, two second-year players who are key you know, in terms of uh, Woods as a nose tackle and uh, coming in, and um, uh, obviously Andre Walker as the left tackle, uh, just have lost, you know, between them, uh, yeah, I'm trying to think, it's like 100, 120 pounds, something like that, between them, and, uh, you know, look, looking stronger than ever and uh, quicker than ever, and, and it's, uh, you just see that over and over again, you know, that kids are either looking stronger and or leaner, and uh, kind of a, a, a an interesting approach that just seems to be team-wide in terms of they're all very aware of where their weight is. You know, and Anthony Soraya says, you know, I'm 215, heaviest I've been. They'd like me to be 220, uh, but it's got to be good weight. It's got to be the next five pounds have to be good weight. And you just see the kids seem very aware of exactly where they are with their bodies and where they want to be and how they want to get there. Two of the guys that we get to see a lot of are uh, Cody Kessler and Max Wittick. And I guess that could, we can segue into our first question from David. He says, I'm wondering about Cody Kessler and Max Wittick. Unlike the rest of us, I'm sorry, unlike the rest of he has seen and I'm sorry. So he's saying that he hasn't seen, he didn't get to see a lot of these guys from numerous practices. They've only been around one year. Um, Dan, what do you see as the attributes of each and where is your money as to who will be anointed as Matt Barkley's backup. So from the guys you've seen Max Wittick and Cody Kessler down at USC, what, what have you seen and, and who do you think's uh, leading the charge right now? Well, an easier call last year. I think Cody was definitely uh, into the playbook quicker, uh, more comfortable in the huddle. Uh, the kind of guy that uh, if, uh, you know, Matt Barkley would have gone down, uh, you would have definitely gone with, uh, with Cody of the two. Uh, he is, uh, he's bigger this year, probably, uh, you know, close to six, two and a half. He's sort of a, a, a wide shouldered, big, you know, long arm rangey sort of a kid that plays more of a kind of a Drew Brees style where he, uh, you know, more comfortable throwing on the run and, uh, holds onto the ball a little bit longer and, uh, you know, really lets, uh, lets the plays develop. He's got the ability to hold on to it longer because he does have, you know, good escape ability and good ability to throw the ball accurately on the run. So it's a very catchable ball, uh, very comfortable in the huddle, kind of a, you know, a kid that just, you know, is sort of a natural leader. Uh, uh, now, Max Wittick's kind of more the, the traditional, you know, big, strong, um, strong-armed, uh, you know, as, as somebody who lives in Orange County, you know, an Orange County, you know, classic uh, prototype Orange County quarterback uh, who uh, looks much more comfortable this year, uh, throws the ball. They've all, they all throw, they're all throwing the ball with more velocity, and partly I think that's just because they're attacking more downfield. Uh, they know the receivers uh, better. Uh, they've got such athletic receivers, and the defense is really coming and playing them hard, and, and it's a real challenge. So you see everybody's uh, velocity has been kind of amped up at the quarterback spot. Uh, Wittick doesn't need to amp his up much at all. He uh, probably uh, 
you know, more of his challenge is just to get the, you know, that arm under control uh, where he just, you know, not doesn't overthrow the ball. Uh, not as easy a call, you know, you, you, and you, you've got the classic advantages of a slightly taller, bigger armed uh, uh, Max Wittick or the uh, uh, real good presence in the pocket and huddle and escapability and the uh, uh, catchable ball as opposed to the, you know, ball with more velocity. Uh, uh, it'd be, I think it'll be decided in places where, for example, when Norm Chow came up with the uh, with Matt Leinert was going to be his quarterback, we saw everything that happened on the field. We didn't. We had no idea which way he was going to go because we weren't in the meetings, you know. And and you had, uh, you know, Matt Castle, for example, was in there. And, you know, it was like a four-way battle, as I as I recall back in uh, 2003 and, uh, and spring game, Matt Liner got the call. And for reasons that we didn't know uh, in terms of uh, kind of his uh, uh, composure and the mastery, uh, you know, in the, uh, in the film room uh, with, uh, you know, with Norm Chow. So it may come down to that, you know, who are the coaches? Because whoever the quarterback is, he's basically um, the extension of Lane Kiffin. Uh, as the play caller. And so I think that will be a, a comfort level that Lane Kiffin has with uh, whichever one of those two. I think either one of them is going to do pretty well. And I, if you guys want to see highlights of these guys, we are, we are allowed to – I think we talked about this last week. We had some questions, but we are allowed to put up three minutes of video highlights from these workouts. So we've been doing that from every workout. Um, you can check them out on uscfootball.com, and uh, you can see for yourself. So Barkley's getting most of the reps, but you do get to see uh, Max Wittick and Cody Kessler throw the football around. As we try to pick the best highlights because we can only put up three minutes. We are limited uh, to that. But, uh, yeah, you can see stuff up. But, Dan, it, it has been mostly Barkley what we're seeing in these things, and we're getting Wittick and Kessler kind of mixing in a little bit. Yeah, I think that's right. And uh, they actually don't seem to uh, maybe uh, get to throw the ball quite as much. I think part of that is they're working them a lot, a lot harder and they're doing a lot more things in the conditioning and the weight, uh, the weight room and the running and all that kind of thing. Uh, and, and because they're, this is a more veteran group, I mean, they, you know, they know what the offense is. They know what defenses they're running. They've got more guys to, uh, to run in there. But, uh, and I thought you did a good job. Of, uh, of showing, for example, uh, Kessler does, you know, will run around more back there and will let plays develop a little longer. And uh, I, know, I know one poster reacted and said, I think Kessler holds on to the ball too long. Well, you know, uh, as if it were a negative. And in some ways that's a positive, uh, his ability to do that. And I thought you showed that. And I thought you, uh, you know, picked out a couple of where you really get to see the power of, of Wittick's arm. Uh, and uh, it's an interesting, uh, you know, you know, uh, which way do you go? Uh, and that's going to be, I think, uh, you know, what they pay uh, Coach Kevin the big bucks for. All right. Uh, let's move on. Some different questions. This is a short one from Theo. Who do you think is the hardest hitter on the team out of the back seven besides TJ McDonald? I think uh, Hayes Pilar probably, uh, you know, I mean, Dion will hit you, you know, pretty hard too. Hayes just, Hayes got 230 pounds uh, behind him. What we haven't seen uh, a lot of yet is uh, Lamar Dawson really getting to get into, uh, uh, you know, uh, a groove where he really runs people down. I mean, one of the thing, best things he does is run people 
uh, down, you know, from that middle linebacker spot, you know, sideline to sideline. He's just very – but he does it kind of in a smooth way. It's not like a real, uh, you know, big, big – he just runs over people. And uh, so – but I'll be interested to see when he gets to play – play a lot more although you know you gotta say for example a kid like uh demetrius right is a safety he will flat out run right over you i mean he will just uh drill uh he, he will drill people he uh he's a big time uh big hitter uh so it'll be interesting it'll be interesting to see you know when Ger- gerald bowman and josh shaw uh both have reputations as uh as, as pretty big hitters and both are big strong kids so uh Kind of interesting. There will be some hit, hitting, I think. For sure. And uh, we'll get to see Gerald Bowman. I talked to him. We'll see him out there Tuesday morning for their workout. So we should be able to get some video and pictures of him. Uh, he should be out there. So that'll be interesting to see. We haven't seen him. Uh, yeah, I guess he was at the first one, but we haven't seen him really out yeah. there since. Uh, and his video shows, sure shows, uh, you know, a guy that's a hitter. I mean, he, he, that's yeah. what just jumps <laughs> out at you when you look at his uh, video from junior college. Well, now you just mentioned uh, some of the guys in the secondary, and this is kind of a segue into Melvin's question. Um, Coach Harvey Hyde uh, last week was talking about he wanted to see USC go too deep in the secondary and and play two different groups of defensive backs. Um, Melvin wants to know if that's what USC wants to do and why. Does that mean there would be a lot of blitzing, or is that a lot of man-to-man exclusively? How do you think that would work, Dan? And do you agree with that, with what Coach Harvey Hyde was saying about running uh, two groups in the secondary? I don't think there's any question. Uh, Lane, you know, and I sat down with him last month, said that's absolutely a, a big-time goal of theirs is to be able to rotate, you know, everywhere and uh, aggressively rotate. And he said, you know, they love the fact that Oregon probably got more mileage out of maybe not so many you know super talented guys but that they you know were a year ago were playing 25 uh regular rotation you know in a 25 man regular rotation on defense and rotated at every spot and uh i think you know that tells you if you're going to rotate uh all the way through your defensive lineup you know you're going to be coming after people more i mean part of the reason is you want to be fresh in the fourth quarter but i think the other part is you want to be able to really go after people and uh, and really come after. I mean, USC obviously had a had a real problem last year, and uh, and getting three and outs and making people kick quickly. I mean, they went to Oregon and he didn't have that problem. Uh, went to Notre Dame, and much of the time didn't. And that changes the whole dynamics of the game for USC if they can get people off the field, especially with Oregon. If you can get Oregon three and outs. They get all their, you know, that offensive rhythm that they get into uh, goes away, and so uh, you have to do some things. You can't just, you know, stay back, play soft, uh, hope they don't beat you deep, uh, and uh, and get them off the field. So you've got to do things to get people off the field. You're going to play two, two, uh, you know, complete two deep rotation. I think you're going to see them naturally come after people. And, and let's look at it. If you look at USC's team on defense, this is not uh, a team that's, that's made to play soft or play, play uh, safe. This is a team that's made to come and attack the offense. And uh, so I think you're going to see more attacking. That's how Marvin Sanders coaches. Uh, that was the immediate reaction of all the players about how much they liked uh, the new secondary coach, uh, his, you know, his favorite defense is uh, uh, being able to play a 
and same with uh, linebacker. You know, the, both new coaches on defense uh, really understand uh, the Tampa two, and yet really have favored a very aggressive version, uh, a shutdown version of the Tampa two, and uh, it seems to fit with the personnel USC has. So uh, I think that's what they certainly want to go toward. Okay, yeah, we've heard uh, Ed Orgeron talk about, you know, they want that defensive line rotation, and that makes a lot more sense. But it's it's interesting to hear what Lane Kiffin had to say about throughout the defense and, and trying to do what some other teams have done. And uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. They definitely have a lot of talent in the secondary. And, and it's very the other deep. thing is they really are emphasizing with these defensive linemen that they want them uh, lean and quick. This is They may be smaller up front than any team they play all year. This is not a, you know, and I know, uh, you know, Oregon is talking about they've got an SEC kind of defensive line with uh, a couple of three, 300-pounders, and, you know, Utah's got, you know, some really big guys. USC's not going that direction. USC's going the other direction. They're coming in with uh, leaner, lighter, quicker uh, people. And, uh, you know, the purpose of having those kind of people is not to just play uh, you know, play contain, play back, play safe. The, the, the reason you've got people like that is to go get people and to attack them. So uh, uh, basically you look at all three levels, you know, defensive line, the linebackers, and the secondary, and between the coaches and the makeup of the personnel, it certainly looks like uh, a team that's built to be very aggressive and uh, maybe even take some chances, but to really go after people. Um, wait, there was, there's a follow-up question I want to get to on this from Mike, but before we get into that, uh, we did have someone write in and concerned that, um, are we changing the way we're doing questions on the podcast and where they're just going to come from voicemails and no, the, the majority, just to let people know, like we said in the beginning of the show, you can email us podcast at uscfootball.com or call and leave a voicemail or leave a voicemail on parastylepodcast.com. You can do either one. Most of the questions we get our read or email format that we read. So you can tell, you know, you can tell we've been reading questions through this podcast and for most of them. So yeah, that's, that's the normal way people kind of write in. But if you do want to hear your voice on the podcast, we can accommodate that as well. So there's no, we're not changing anything. Um, and you know, podcast at uscfootball.com is the main way people send in the questions. Um, but Mike, uh, and he's called Seattle Trojan. So I, I assume he's up in Seattle. You were talking about, um, you know, letting guys loose on, on uh, defense. And he had a question on defense as well. He said, defensively, we are so athletic that he feels, and he feels that over-pursuing, you can get over, they can start to over-pursue and get caught at times by great offensive coaches like Steve Sarkeesian. I love TJ and all the hits last year. I don't want to tell great athletes not to play fast and with great emotion, but how do we still instill staying at home and doing your job without inhibiting the great athletes we have? It seems like, just having great athletes that can run so well at times can also get us in trouble. What do you think about that? Well, I mean, um, you know, I don't know how many offenses in the Pac-12 are really geared to, you know, coming back uh, the other way with, uh, you know, some kind of, you know, counter and all that. that that's not, not the direction that college football is exactly going in. So if you get somebody that wants to try to do that because they think you're quick uh, uh, and you might, over pursue, uh, uh, you know, that's, you might be better off if they are going away from what they, what they normally do. But obviously uh, that's where coaching comes in. You really have to have all your bases covered. You got to have, you know, somebody covering uh, and you got to have, have them acting in, uh, you know, unison. For example, 
that's one of the things we're seeing um, uh, with the, with the defense. Uh, you know, with TJ out there uh, doing a lot of the calls. On, you know, when the players are running the practice. So a lot of it is making sure you've got that coordination where there's somebody on the backside and where they're uh, you know filling all the lanes and they're not just trying to all be the first guy there to make a tackle. I think that that's one of the things that happens. Uh, as a team uh, grows up together, is they start understanding all of those things. So this is not something that's a, a foreign concept to them. I, I think uh, they've wanted to play like this, and I think one of the points that the coaches will make is, you know, we want you to play this way, but we also we don't need nine guys on that side of the ball and, you know, two guys back here at the end. And uh, I think it happened to them a couple of times in uh, in kickoff coverage where – just inexplicably, you know, they ended up out of balance and, uh, you know, with, with the Anthony Thomas at Oregon and the, the uh, Notre Dame return that really kind of put both of those teams in a much better position in those games than they should have been, uh, can't do that. And I think, you know, they understand it, and I think that will be part of the whole installation of a more aggressive, uh, uh, you know, athletic defense will be to make sure, you know, you're not uh, overrunning it and getting all on the same side and giving a guy a, a lane to come back. Um, he had one follow-up, too, uh, Dan. He wants to know, is there any updates on uh, Trey Madden? You know, he, he have not heard anything. I haven't heard whether uh, – that'll be that's an interesting we, – we have not seen Trey. Uh, uh, so uh, – uh, that's a, that's a good point, Mike, and we'll uh, we'll check that out and see what uh, if if they've had enough time to have a have a sense of. Uh, I mean, I I've got the sense, and I know there are people in other programs who were you know operated on for the same thing, at the same time, as Trey was in the spring, and that, that are talking about well maybe we can get this guy back for the second half of the season. You don't hear any of that at USC. You don't hear any sense of uh, there might be a reason to. Uh, to try to hope that, you know, after, you know, six or so, six or eight months, maybe uh, there would be uh, enough time. Um, and I, I don't hear that at all. But you have heard that in other programs where they've got a particular player that pretty much had the same kind of spring, uh, you know, knee surgery, who they think might be able to come back. So, uh, uh, but we'll definitely check that out and see, uh, see what, it's enough time now that we ought to have some sense of, of how it's going for Trey. Okay. Um, let's go to Rundy next. And he says, have you heard anything about the NCAA investigation of Oregon? Do you think they will receive significant penalties? And also, I understand USC switching players' position to create team speed. But as far as a career in the NFL, does this benefit or hurt players like Dion Bailey? So those are from Rundy. Hmm. I, that's a good question. I think, uh, uh, you know, if you look at Deion Bailey as a, uh, uh, say, a strong safety in the NFL, uh, the fact that um, uh, that they're really playing to his strengths for USC uh, and, you know, his coverage ability and ability to pursue and tackle in the open open spaces and things like that has to help Dion. I, I don't think it would help him as much if they were – uh, you know, Ben don't break all the time. Uh, that's just not uh, not not playing to his strengths and not you know challenging him to be able to show uh, you know what he could do. So I, I think that is going to 
benefit the U.S. because I don't think there's any question about it. Um, uh, in terms of Oregon and the NCA, hey, it's a kinder, gentler NCA today. You know, I mean, what the heck? Why would why would you want to go after anybody and, and really mess up their program, huh? I would, <laughs> wouldn't think the NCA would want to do that, would they? They really seem to be showing an awful lot of, you know, concern for how everybody's going to handle, uh, you know, really tough sanctions. So uh, I wouldn't put my hopes on, hey, and, you know, Oregon's now recruiting Texas players again. All of a sudden, all the Texas players left, surprisingly, really. Uh, and now they're they're back to recruiting Texas again. So maybe they know something that, that we don't know. I don't know. But, uh, you know, I think uh, Oregon will be fine. You know, they, you know, there's – it's only one USC. Good, bad, <laughs> and different. USC is probably all by itself in terms of how the NCAA uh, is, is going to deal, you know, with with uh, programs and uh, the kinder, gentler NCAA I think will come out. You know what's funny about this, and I, I know we get some people that love to talk about the NCAA, and they ask. We get questions all the time, so we try to answer them. And there's other people that hate it and want to turn the show off. But real quick, the the interesting part of this was when. The NCAA came out with their kind of new rules and how if USC would have happened today, the, the sanctions would be way worse. But so they're saying that like now, you know, hey, if, if these things got to happen in the future, programs are going to get hammered. The penalties are going to be more strict. But we've seen other programs do things that were obviously way worse and, and kind of get slapped on the wrist and not really have anything significant, significant happen. So it's funny when you say there's like saying the rules are tougher but in implementation of the rules, it's really not showing. Well, this is the thing that, that just drives you crazy about the NCA. Is basically, they can have the toughest rules in the world, and they could maybe say, one time in a thousand, we'll implement those. And we choose you, USC. You get the implementation of the really tough ones. We're not going to see, you know, at USC, if you only wouldn't have had that tennis player, that women's tennis player from Romania calling home on a credit card from the coach's office, you'd have been okay. But that pushed it over the over the hill. You know that was just you know having a having institutional cheating through your own athletic department and through your own tutors and buying grades and, you know, having fake uh, classes and all that, that's not all that much. That's, we'll just make that uh, maybe a failure to monitor. But USC, boy, that tennis player put you into lack of institutional control territory, and that's when the penalties really go up. Well, of course, it's all bogus. I mean, they're phonies, they're, they're hypocrites. They have absolutely no integrity. The people that make decisions like that, so, you know, the, for whatever reason, We've asked everybody, and it's never been verbalized, never been even, uh, you know, hinted at from somebody. Somebody at the NCA or several somebodies or a number had decided they were going to put a hit on USC for whatever reason. And you can all write in all your, um, you know, all your reasons there. But uh, they clearly, it was a hit job on USC, and they were going to pursue it until they thought they had maybe enough evidence that they could justify acting like USC was comparable to either one of the Miami scandals or, or you know, buying players or all the things that happened that, uh, that we know are, you know, academic fraud and all that kind of stuff, none of which happened at USC. It was completely 
it's an embarrassing blot, you know, on on an organization whose conduct almost makes it impossible to be embarrassed about what they do. <laughs> and it still is embarrassing to them. And, you know, they just want it to go away if they could. Uh, and uh, I guess USC is sort of obliging them. Although uh, if, if this team does what it might be the best answer of all, without a doubt, is if this team, you know, just puts it all together on their own and does what they, what they can do, uh, might be the best answer uh, to the NCAA and saying, you know, we're not going to let you uh, take us down. I, I wonder what this is going to mean for the future as well. Like we haven't seen other programs get hammered. Um, like you said, it looked like a hit job against USC. Um, but say, you know, something major does happen at, a, at an Alabama or an LSU, something where you know they can recruit like USC can recruit. And maybe it's a different thing where USC is kind of out in an island out here. No one really on the West Coast has been able to to take advantage of USC's dominance. But, you know, in the SEC, it, you know, it could be a little bit more competitive. I don't know. It's hard to say. I mean, everyone programs different. But if USC does come through and, and say wins a Rose Bowl or, or, heck, wins a national championship this year, with 10 scholarships down, uh, I wonder what that does to the NCAA thinking, knowing that, hey, we can hammer a team that you think would knock them into submission. And really, it was kind of like one year. If if, if Pete Carroll didn't leave the program, like how, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, the, the team probably had a little bit more success, that transition and transfers and all things like that. It was a little, there was a little bit of turmoil. Um, but it, it really didn't last all that long, Dan. And, and now for them to be back, you know, it looks like full bore and still recruiting like nobody's business and, and just, it, you know, kicking ass on the field and off the field. Yeah. It's uh, it's interesting to see what the NCAA is going to do going forward, knowing that, hey, are these penalties enough or is this a unique situation? Or if it's a major program, do we have to hit them hard? I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure what they're going to think about this going forward. Well, and, and that that's the point. You know, here the NCAA tends to punish people that had nothing to do with the supposed, you know, crimes or infractions. You know, let's take 10 scholarships away from 10 kids whose names we don't even know, you know, who will never get to go to USC. Oh, yeah, that's a good idea, you know. Uh, and so it doesn't change anything. It Basically, it's what bureaucrats do to act like they're doing something. And USC might be the perfect case of saying, what do you, you know, you wanted them to give up football? Other than that, they were going to still be USC, and if they got it together now, obviously USC had to have the right person come in and the right coaching staff. Uh, but uh, they can't come up with a penalty that says USC can no longer be USC. I mean, it was obvious some of the SEC people wanted USC not to be in a place where there's really good weather or, or not to be a program that has a really good history or a really good tradition or to be at a university that's, you know, one of the fastest rising academic institutions in the world. And uh, all of that, you know, it's like, if only we could do something. Well, you can't. I mean, you know, what are you going to do unless you take away the football program? Uh, so it might demonstrate the futility of the way the NCAA goes about things, which obviously any of us who've spent any time studying what the NCAA does understand the complete absolute futility now obviously you know if you're ohio state or maybe oregon or north carolina and you're well situated in terms of the nca bureaucracy and the people in place who are going to protect you uh 
you like it the way it is. This is good. If you're the SEC, you like it. You know, you like the fact that nobody in your conference anymore gets penalized. It's, you know, because of the way you know things are set up. They don't, you know, look at the same set of circumstances or worse set of circumstances as uh, as a real problem unless it's a school that's not favored. Uh, so, you know what. My my confidence level in the NCAA's ability to take the right lessons from this is probably zero. The only good news I think that we've seen recently is the fact that there were some people in the USC case, for example, who I think really liked talking about themselves as being the avenging angels and we're going to show those rules, lawbreakers and all that. Well, those people aren't around so much anymore. They're not jumping on these new Committee on Infractions cases. Uh, they're having trouble filling out their panels uh, on some of these cases when people are dropping off. Uh, it's not, and I said last week, it's not so much of a resume enhancer to say, yeah, I'm on the NCAA Committee on Infractions, because a lot of people now look at you like, ew, you are? That's not <laughs> such a good deal. What, what were you guys doing? So uh, I think that at least has turned, that, that you can't be, you know, Josephine Petuto and just say, boy, I'm, I'm responsible for the NCA's way of, uh, you know, deciding and punishing uh, uh, rules breakers. You know, and I think for a while that was like a really cool thing, and they'd write nice things about you in Sports Illustrated. I don't think they're going to do that no. anymore. <laughs> So I'm not. So if there's any one good thing, that's the one good thing. And if there, the next good thing is if they call you up and say, "Would you like to be on the committee on infractions?" Most people, the next thing you're going to hear is the phone click. Uh, <laughs> he's not here. Uh, call tomorrow. You know. Uh, so that that may be the one good thing that came out of this. Uh, and the USC doing what they're doing may be the second, where it says basically. Uh, you can't do this to people. Uh, it's not right. All right. Uh, let's, okay, that's enough NCAA talk for now. That's good. We, yeah. Sorry I had to get that out of the way, folks. But, uh, okay, here's Lee in Lakewood. He had a few questions. His first one is, how is Chad Wheeler coming along, and will he play defensive end or offensive tackle? I haven't heard anything about him in some time. Um, he looks like he's a lot bigger. He is the... And when we look out there, we say, okay, Andre Walker may not be the heaviest guy. He's still the biggest guy on the, on, on the field. But Chad Wheeler, it, when they stand next to one another, he, he's the tallest guy out there. Uh, he is a, uh, you know, got a big, long frame. I think he's got some potential. And they, they're definitely keeping him as an offensive, uh, offensive tackle. Uh, and uh, he's, he, you know, he's, he's young, he's smart kid. Um, I think he's got really good potential. He's just got a wonderful-looking frame. Uh, they're going to have some, obviously, some really tall, tall linemen here in the next few years. But, uh, but uh, I think you know a little bit will depend on how does he fill out, how strong does he get. Uh, but, but I think he's got some potential and, and, and probably athletic enough, maybe to where there is a you know a question of can he go to the other side. Uh, but uh, I certainly think right now they like him as an offensive tackle. Yeah, I got to see him in high school, and did, he did a really good job uh, playing defensive end, but it does seem like they're grooming him towards 
uh, offensive tackle right now. He's getting a lot of instruction when the, the team's doing their offseason workouts. So we'll we'll try to give you some updates on on Chad. He's got this long flowing hair now. So give you up there. Yeah. Um, one other, he had two other questions. One, did USC give Elijah Steen a scholarship? Uh, he's in, he's that, uh, walk on, uh, safety from Orange County. I believe that, uh, yeah, he's, he's a walk on though, Dan, right? You're you're, Irvine kid. I I don't think they've given any of the, the walk ons new or, I mean, the, the, the issue with, uh, with new walk ons is they're, you know, still to be resolved the exact number in terms of, uh, some of the holdover walk-ons who earn scholarships. So I think uh, uh, there, you know, those numbers will play out over the summertime. Uh, but they have to be down to uh, 75 on scholarship by uh, uh, July 31st, I guess, is, is the cutoff date. So I would be surprised that it will open up enough that, uh, that a new walk-on would, uh, would get a scholarship. And as you know, some of us have been there have said, that uh, Ryan Dillard looks like he might be in the mix, cornerback uh, from uh, Atlanta. If you're going to be, uh, you know, giving out walk-ons uh, scholarships, uh, you would have to uh, have to put him in the mix for any anything that's available. Yeah, for sure. And then uh, one last question: He wanted to know where we stand with Montrevious Adams. Um, I'll give. I'll kind of take that. We're going to talk to Gerard Martinez tomorrow about it. We do have a lot of defensive line questions to get to, but he's the top defensive tackle in the country out of Vienna, Georgia, another Georgia kid, um, five-star. So he's the only five-star uh, rivals.com defensive tackle in the country. Likely he's going to probably end up somewhere in the SEC. He just visited uh, Alabama this past weekend and it uh, looks like he's going to make his decision on signing day, but we will see him at the five-star challenge. So Gerard will get a chance to talk to him and see where he stands with USC. And we can talk to Gerard tomorrow on the podcast. About about that the thing well. I'd like to see is comparing him, uh, you know, to Bigelow. I, I would just think that it would be nice to have him in the same place and see what, uh, you know, what that comparison looks like uh, in terms of uh, who is, you know, who's the top kid, that kind of thing. Yeah, and then, I, I th- they, you know, they list Bigelow as like a, a strong side defensive end, so they're kind of different positions, but certainly they're going to go up against some of the same top offensive linemen. That's what I like. I mean, the, the one-on-ones for offense, defensive line, even though there's no pads, are usually a lot of fun to watch. And we get some really good footage of these guys. So you can see them, you know, you can see, you know, two of your favorite defensive linemen go against, uh, you know, the same offensive linemen and see how they do. Um, you get to see their feet and their hands and their hips and uh, just in general, you know, who's, who gets his, in front of the other guy, you know, and who beats the other guy to the punch and all that. And, and the thing I'm, you know, interested in is, is the last, you know, listed weight on Bigelow was 322 pounds or something like that. So if, if, if that's, you know, the correct weight, uh, uh, you know, he would certainly have to, you know, not think of him as a defensive end, but, uh, but it would be interesting to see how, how he matches up. And uh, I guess the fact that I guess the defensive end from Georgia ended up now at Clemson, uh, the other kid that's, you know, in the running for uh, you know top player, you know, on, on the front line and uh, that the SEC lost out on him uh, in terms of commitments anyway. Right. Uh, it'd be hard to see them. Uh, <laughs> they have to build a wall around Georgia to keep that kid from leaving, <laughs> you know, SEC country. Cause uh, that wouldn't be a good trend for them. If, uh, uh, you know, that's clearly the place that they've had the advantage is, uh, 
is those uh, big athletic uh, frontline defenders, and uh, they start leaving the state. Um, uh, not so good. Yeah. Like if Jarvis Jones are still at <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, but every once in a while you get a kid out of you get a kid out of Georgia. Obviously, Ryan Dillard, for example, was a pretty darn good player with Division One offers. You know, growing up in Atlanta, and he grew up as a USC fan in Atlanta. Uh, it was his dream school. So you never know uh, where you you might run into a kid like that. And and the thing that may be working uh, to tie into our, our last comment about the NCAA. The fact that USC could be putting together for a couple of years these sort of a super elite top 15 classes might be enough for a kid to sit there and say, hmm, that's kind of a neat thing to be one of those 15 guys. You know, and obviously it'll somewhat depend on how USC does this year and that, but uh, that might be an attractive thing for a kid to say, wow, that would be something if I were one of those guys. Yeah, it's it's like a more I've talked about this with Gerard. It's like a more exclusive club where you're kind of like you know you're not going to be part of a big class of 25 or 30. You're part of 15. It's small and you know there's already a whole bunch of five stars. You know if you're part of that group, you're worth something because it's it's a significant it's like a significant it was a smaller club in the back that there's no sign on it, but man, everyone wants to go in that place. It seems like that's kind of what's happening right now. Well, and USC always was somewhat exclusive. I mean, USC wasn't out recruiting 35 guys and running guys off every year, you know, and where you'd recruit 100 and, 100 and uh, what, over five years, some of those schools are recruiting like 175 players and with a scholarship limit of 85, you know, and obviously a, a whole lot of kids were disappearing, uh, and that was never the case at USC. So I think you always had a chance to be exclusive, but now it's just really obvious uh, if you're one of those kids, uh, does that, you know, put you in a different class uh, from, uh, you know, and some of those, you know, competitive kids, that's what they want, you know. I mean, if you look back at some of the, you know, Brian Cushing, Keith Rivers, Mike Williams, guys like that, they they just saw something in USC that, that was exactly what they wanted. So uh, I think it's interesting the way USC's, A, going after these kids earlier, and more publicly, and more in a sense of uh, taking advantage of what could have been a negative and turning it into a positive. And uh, that's one of the, the, the genius, I think, moves of this uh, coaching staff is to take what everybody – I mean, you couldn't read a story for a year and a half about USC without somebody talking about the downside, the negatives, da-da-da-da-da, of the uh, – uh, sanctions the scholarship sanctions and they wrote that until it no longer was a negative <laughs> and now you don't read people writing those same analyses of how are they going to be able to recruit you know where are they going to be able to da, 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 da. and and they wrote that all the way up to the point where wait a minute it isn't a negative there are no <laughs> you know and all of a sudden you don't read about that anymore do you no very funny. All right. Well, we got a couple more to get to, and we'll let you go, Dan. Uh, Theo had another one. Talk about last. I guess last year there was a lot of talk about there was new potential new Nike uniforms, and four members of the USC team were selected to wear them. Like there were moder- uh, modernized uh, uniforms um, that went, went very well. I think the players really liked it, but there hasn't really been a lot of new information since. Do you, have you heard anything about that, or is anything new? Well, I don't think it's so much. 
USC's really going to stay traditional. You're not going to see numbers. You're not going to probably see you know, black uniforms and all that. I think the newness in those uniforms, and they actually debuted them on a day when they, uh, when they, uh, uh, I guess it was raining. And uh, part of it was they were a whole different way of wicking the moisture and, uh, and that kind of thing. They were more of the, the technology and, and maybe the fit a little bit where, where uh, you know, they didn't, I mean, obviously the way they're doing them now and the way they're actually have that stuff that makes them stick to the pads and what have you, so you don't have a handle on them to, you know, grab onto the, especially the offensive players. Uh, but I don't think it was so much, uh, I think people tend to say, what, you know, how will it change in the style? I don't think it's going to change the style look almost at all. Maybe a, a little, you know, logo at the, uh, in the, you know, the V-neck or something like that. But nothing that's just obviously going to jump out at you in terms of color or uh, striping or any of those kinds of things. I think mostly uh, it would be um, in terms of, of the materials uh, and the ability to, you know, handle all kinds of weather and things like that. I think that's, I think that's definitely happening. I mean, they're getting the upgraded, uh, you know, new materials and things like that. I think Nike was basically, I think, showing USC – this is what they're going to look like. This is what they're going to be uh, in this material, which is what they wore uh, those days at practice. Okay. And then we got uh, two last questions. It's the same topic. So I'll, let me read both of them to you, Dan. Uh, first is Mark in La Quinta. He said, Dan has made his thoughts well known on what he thinks of SEC and they're scheduling numerous home games and FCS opponents. And Dan, before I even finish, uh, I was just reading a tweet now. Uh, SEC teams will be favored in 51 of their 56 non-conference games this year by an average margin of more than three touchdowns. <laughs> so that's pretty ridiculous. But um, who screwed up in those other five games? Damn, where did they go wrong? <laughs> he must not have come to the SEC uh, scheduling seminar that uh, Mike Sly had for him. That's funny. But he, he goes on to say, what I would like to have both of your thoughts on is what uh, – what your recommendation recommendations for selecting which four teams would participate in a BCS tournament. And then also Martin, he wrote, he actually wrote, I think it was like a 1500 page like proposal for, we can't really read that Martin for playoffs and what he thinks about what's going on. But he was, he was going on to say, is it possible that the conferences, if the conferences cannot come to an agreement on a playoff model and being that the big 12 and sec have founded their own bowl game Alliance, could the PAC 12 and the big 10, break away from the BCS and bring along maybe the WAC or the Mountain West and include independents like Notre Dame, Navy, Army, BYU, to form a new conference and have eight-team playoff model and have the Rose Bowl as their championship game. That does seem a little uh, far-fetched and out of there. You're going to exclude a lot of great football teams. But um, maybe, Dan, give your thoughts on those yeah. questions and your overall I think uh, uh, the first uh, question is I don't have a good model for a four-team playoff because I think that's a contradiction in terms. Four teams is not a playoff. You know, 65 in the NCAA basketball tournament or 68, whatever they've got now, that's a playoff. Four teams, that's the final four. That's the end of the, you know. And so to act as if with all these different scenarios in terms of eight-game regular season schedules and nine games and, you know, teams not even playing the good teams in their own conference, you know, and the fact that if you're in the SEC, you can schedule, you know, you start the year off with pretty much an eight-game home schedule with four, uh, you know, runovers uh, at home to start, or you never leave your time zone, you know, 
you hardly ever even have to take a plane, you know, you don't, uh, all that kind of stuff. Those differences are so great uh, that you can't possibly overcome them in terms of really knowing. It's one of the neat things if you really do it right and you have the, the right couple of teams in the championship game, you, you just never know. All the, remember all the smart guys uh, uh, at the uh, Oklahoma-USC game were just so convinced. Oklahoma, they were too big. They were too strong. They were too powerful. They were too da-da-da-da. USC was just too glamorous, and they practiced as they had way too much fun, and we just know Oklahoma is going to be so big and strong and tough. Now, we're not allowed to get any of their practices, and we don't really know. Uh, for sure, but that's what we're pretty uh, we're we're pretty convinced that's going to happen until the first play of the game and Mike Patterson nailed Dave Peterson four yards in the back, you know, in the end or the, in the, his own backfield, knocked him one way and the ball the other way, and everybody thought, uh oh, what's what's going on here? And uh, you know, people didn't know that the Oklahoma coaches didn't understand that. I don't think uh, what was probably going to happen. So to act like you can come up with a panel that would be independent enough and informed enough to try to, you know, tell you uh, uh, who the four teams should be. I think four is really – people say that's a good number. It's a really bad number because basically you can already see the SEC and the Big 12 trying to game the system and, uh, you know, the way they've framed their their meetings and their demands and their dialogue and all that, you know, and, and, you know, four, 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 they're yelling and, you know, like we want the best four teams. Who the heck knows who the best four teams are? Based on the SEC's regular season last year, LSU was the best team. You know, they didn't have Alabama above them. So uh, uh, I, I just think four is not going to work. And I do think the Big 12, uh, uh, excuse me, the Pac-12 and the Big 10 do have an opportunity here to stick to their guns and basically, you know, keep the value of the Rose Bowl and go, you know, and, and say, look, no other model really will work. Uh, the, the presidents are not going to allow us to have eight teams uh, in a playoff. And, and unless you can have eight teams, you really can't have anything that really deserves a label playoff. Uh, I like the, the plus one model after the Rose Bowl. Uh, somehow, you know, you'll have to, you know, fight this out and battle it out and use all the, you know, computers and all the human selection people and all the uh, polls and come up with the two teams that deserve to play for the national championship after the bowl games. And I think the one good thing about the bowl system is it gives you one more cross-check where uh, somebody in the SEC has to play somebody outside the SEC almost all the time in a different place, and you get a chance to have one more fix on who really is the best team and uh, uh, or the two best teams and who are the two teams that deserve to go there. And if something like 2003 happens where USC got screwed and, and you ended up with an Oklahoma team that lost by, what, 28 points in their last game, still got into the championship game against LSU, uh, then uh, the AP poll, you know, voted and gave USC the national championship, and it was as legitimate, more so, more legitimate than anything that uh, came from the BCS that year. So to me, that would be the way to go. Uh, I think the thing about Notre Dame is because Notre Dame plays Michigan, Michigan State, Purdue, and they play USC and uh, Stanford, uh, and I think they even pick up Arizona State, I think Notre Dame and somebody on the board had a really good suggestion just to, in effect, make Notre Dame 
a de facto member of the Big Ten uh, Pac-12 uh, scheduling, uh, you know, combine. And in effect, Notre Dame already is kind of there. So that if Notre Dame runs the table against the Big Ten and the uh, uh, Pac-12 any particular year, Notre Dame, uh, you know, then move on to the championship game. So that actually gives Notre Dame a way of getting there based on their own schedule and a legitimate way uh, if they would run the table against USC, Stanford, Michigan, Michigan State, uh, Purdue. You know, the Ohio State people might not like that, but but I think you could make a case uh, that, that that would – so to me, that solves a lot of things. I'm a I'm a big big time uh, uh, you know plus one person right now. I don't trust anything else. All right, Dan. Well, we th- appreciate you coming on the show and uh, sharing all your thoughts. We hit a lot of topics today, and with uh, Harvey Hyde on secret assignment, oh, man, we had to go over 50 minutes. So sorry we uh, kept you so long. Oh, but... that's great. Yeah, there's a lot there. That's the thing. Not for all these years. The momentum and the amount of news, for example, the way USC is recruiting now, the way everybody's recruiting, there's more recruiting news, more of the year earlier. Uh, you know, just think of how much more has happened on the recruiting front this year than any year that we can ever imagine at this time of year. I mean, this, there were times this was a downtime. And then if you're looking toward the potential of a national championship, every one of the summer workouts is important. And yeah. with all the guys coming back and all that, it's just, you know, there is no almost downtime anymore. Uh, you know, it's like uh, somebody asked the other day, you know, what do you do in the, the downtime? And you just say, downtime? <laughs> Has there been any downtime? I'm, I'm not sure that that's actually uh, happened. I mean, who knows? The Andre Walker losing, you know, going to under 300 pounds that just happened recently might be as important a story as anything that's happened for USC. I mean, just, there's just you know, those things out there that just keep and, uh uh, you know, <laughs> it is a 52-week-a-year uh, deal now. It certainly is. But, uh, again, thanks again for uh, coming on the show, and uh, we'll talk to you again next week. And I'll be off to the Rivals Challenge, but we will have Gerard on. I'll try to, we'll try to record either tonight or tomorrow morning before I leave, and then we'll go out and get Gerard on the Peristyle Podcast, Trojan Blast Recruiting Edition. But everyone else, thank you very much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast, and we'll talk to you all next week. Listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by USCFootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on PeristylePodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.